Welcome to the Lead Pursuit Podcast, a podcast covering Blood Red Skies, a game of World War II aerial combat. Welcome to episode 13 of the Lead Pursuit Podcast. Tonight we're changing things up a little bit and we're moving away from the hardcore dynamic of the basic game, the expansions to the game, aircraft cards, and we're going a little bit off the reservation. Tonight, I'm joined by Rosalind, the creator of an expansion titled Jet Age Edition. And it's a created uh, expansion. Uh, it's taking the game a direction that probably nobody would have initially thought all the way up into the modern jet era uh, and having to make some of the compromises and game designer decisions uh, that really come into creating something that is vastly different from where we started. So, Rosalind, thanks for joining us. Really appreciate it. We've got Brett and uh, Chris both on, so thanks for joining us tonight. Absolutely. It's great to be here. Well, good. So how did you end up going from a World War II dogfighting game that probably is the, the most basic, the most straightforward set of you know one pamphlet rules to saying, I want to take it to the exact opposite end of history and physics and <laughs> everything else that goes into building a game, and, and I want to create an expansion to draw it that way? Well, that's, uh, it's an interesting story. It's a long story. Um, we but... have all night. <laughs> it's a podcast. It doesn't cost extra. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, um, so basically, I picked up Blood Red Skies. One of my friends bought the box set, and I, I tried a game of it. And, of course, I loved it. it I'd never really been as much into the World War II fighters as much as I had been into jet fighters. Um, so, you know, of course, Blood Red Skies was great. Loved it. Probably one of my favorite games, period. Aside from maybe Battletech or something along those lines. Um, and then from there, it's like, yeah, this is great. But, you know, my fighter jets, I kind of need them. Um, same friend sourced really cheap trumpeter 1x350 fighters. So I'm just like, you know what? If we're going to do this, we're going to do it. And... I have a, a bit of a history of making mods for games just about in every game I've played. Oh, um, so, you, so you're one of those who can't just sit back and take all the hard work of the designer and play the rules as... Uh... <laughs> I'm, I'm a bit stubborn, and I'm a bit... Uh, I don't know if there's a word for it, but we'll go with stubborn. I, I want what I want, and if it doesn't exist, then I will make it. Um, so when I played X-Wing way back in the day, like 2014 to 2016, um, I had a habit of making custom cards for it. And then when X-Wing wasn't really enough for me, uh, I started a modification that turned into more of a complete overhaul that I called uh, X-Wing Tactical Combat System, or TCS. And that basically revamped the entire game um, it changed the fundamental way that the game plays. It introduced ground combat, more granular damage systems, like you name it. Um, I changed it in TCS. Ultimately, that didn't really go anywhere. Um, as with most mods that kind of completely change up the way the game plays, it turns out, and I didn't know this at the time, it turns out that if people play a game, it probably means they like the game as it is. 
<laughs> Strange. It's weird that way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So uh, TCS didn't really go anywhere, but I loved the rules. Um, so what I ended up doing with that is, you know, take Star Wars completely, excuse me, completely out of it, um, made up my own sci-fi IP, and that's a game that I've been working on for like the last two years. Nice. Okay. Cool. That's really been my main project, but Jet Age Edition was something special, actually, because funnily enough, I'm here on the podcast for it, so I imagine it has some merit. Uh, <laughs> yes, <laughs> or else would be roasting you instead of inviting you to the podcast, so. Hey, a good roast is fun, too. <laughs> <laughs> Look at this but... creation she's thrown our way. No. <laughs> Yeah, it's it, it's a little rough around the edges, mostly in my opinion, mostly because this is one of my, I guess, side side projects. But I, I do love deeply and, and care for the work that I have done. Um, but ultimately, yeah, modding and tabletop game design, I don't know why, but it's just it's in my blood. I, I feel like I am compelled to do it whenever I can. Well, well, Rosalind, you started out and you said you were a Battletech background. And as soon as you said that, and then you said, you know, I didn't care for the granularity in, you know, in, the, yeah. in the Star Wars games. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, gee, hmm. Yeah, I, I understand that completely, knowing you're a Battletech background, because I, I've got some hardcore Battletech buddies up here. And um, I can tell you that is that that's that's a whole nother level. Oh, yeah. That's why Chris plays Magic the Gathering all the time. <laughs> Dude, no matter how many times you pound that one, it's just not going to be true. Nobody even believes it. They've seen, they've seen pictures of me. They know I don't weigh 500 pounds. <laughs> People know I shower. They know I'm married. Yes, I'm in a basement, but it's by choice. <laughs> the story is already all over Malaysia. <laughs> I have Chris, the world champion Magic player on the podcast. <laughs> So, sorry. Hey, that guy's worth is... a lot of money. So if you give me some of that magic money, I may even consider it. All right. Well, back to where we were talking about uh, Jet Age Edition. So yeah. it, it's it, it's kind of funny to, as you said it very well, people play a game because they're satisfied with the way it plays. But the problem is if you're a game tinkerer, and I'm sure Brett and Chris will now confess that I'm a little bit that way with creating cards and scenarios, you're you're already not satisfied with the rules. You may enjoy them, but you go, well, what if I did X or what if I changed this mechanic? Yeah. Uh, how did that play into Jet Age Edition? Because all of a, all of a sudden with, with Jet Age version 1.3 now, you've, you've had to go back and change some of your compromises because, well, Andy came out with the jet card. And so all of a sudden we had some baseline rules for how jets were expected to behave. Uh, how much did that kind of upset the apple cart and make you start over? Um, not as much as uh, you might think. So I must admit right now, we've already covered this. Yes, I'm a Battletech player. Um, and that's See, that's why, that's why I like Roslyn, <laughs> being a former Battletech player who gave up the, the addiction. <laughs> I, I don't think I will ever give that up. But that that plays into this because that I have a bias and I have a pretty strong bias towards granularity. And that's this from a game design perspective, that can be a problem um, because Blood Red Skies is fantastic because it's not really granular, but it so flawlessly encapsulates what dogfighting is 
especially for the era, it it's just fantastic. Right. The problem with jets is that, well, World War II planes were harder, and this is just my opinion, my understanding, World War II planes were harder to fly than they were to fight, I guess, because you had the... You had the one direction of guns. That that was really the only way to shoot somebody down. Um, and with just flying the jet, I mean, flying the plane, you had like your throttle, you had your boost, you had your water injection if your plane had it, you had your propeller pitch, you had your supercharger stages. Like you have all of this stuff, and if you can simplify it to just moving six inches or seven inches, then you pretty much have simplified most everything about flying a world war ii fighter with jets it's kind of arguably the other way around it's a lot easier to fly the plane you have autopilot you just have the one throttle it's just a matter of you know the flight stick and the throttle that's kind of it when it comes to just keeping the plane in the air but the combat is way harder see i told Uh, you doug a monkey can do it (laughs) you know you can say what you want (laughs) I flew, you stacked boxes. Questions? Okay, thank you very much. I, I really <laughs> like Rosalind. <laughs> Rosalind, they wouldn't even let him fly it. They made him sit in the back. <laughs> I, I'm sorry, Rosalind. I forgot this is not a logistics. <laughs> we invited the box hey, stacker, hey. but uh, but apparently he thinks he has a voice here. <laughs> I, uh, I want to I clear my name a little bit. I don't think that it's easy, and I do a lot of combat flight sims. I know that's hard. It's just not as hard. Well, as it's, it was. I, I, I think you you hit on a point a lot of people forget about is that, and it's it's tough in the crossover years like Korea, Vietnam. But if you if you go from one end of the spectrum to the other, if I say I want to start in 1939 and go to 2019, the airplane management is what you did in 1939. Mm-hmm. In 2019, you do the systems management and you manage exactly. the radar, your sensors, uh, individual weapon systems. So it's it's two very different um, tactical problems, which which will lead into something we'll talk about later about about scale and, and tactical decision making. Um, but but like you said, you've already set yourself up for for a difficulty because because now I'm trying to simulate something that in a sense kind of is granular. Does my radar detect the target? Does my missile get to the target? Uh, things that and I don't know if you've ever played Air War. I think you've played probably Check Your Six and some of the other ones that that try to thread the needle of granularity because mm. unless you go to the air war level, sometimes you feel like there's a detail I'm forgetting. I'm, I'm forgetting some counter to this system. Yeah. Uh, I, I am aware of air war. Um, and hopefully that's all. Yes. Like, never, never play it. I think I logged six games in my entire life. Yeah. I, there, are, while I appreciate granularity, I also have to acknowledge there is a point at which you can have so much granularity that the game isn't even fun anymore or arguably even a game. Right, um, right. One of those examples is Air War. Another is, I think it's Squadron Strike. Okay. Uh, the sci-fi, like, full uh, Newtonian physics game. And, <laughs> yeah, that doesn't sound fun. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, maybe that's a conversation to have later because that relates to a few things here. But for now, I'll leave that be. The point is, is that I, I play DCS World, I play IL-2. Like, I'm, I'm big into these games. So, of course, this is important to me, but also I understand that if I can't relate these concepts of modern tactical jet fighting 
to the simplistic system of Blood Red Skies, then I don't think that Jet Age Edition will be a success, even on my own terms of do I think the game design is good? Um, and that's that's been a challenge because there's so many variables in jet combat with missiles and radar and radar cross-section. God, just thinking about it is like overwhelming me with the amount of variables at play. Um, so as a result, it's, it is absolutely a challenge to adapt it to Blood Red Skies. Part of what I have tried to do is basically kind of do the same thing that Blood Red Skies did with movement, which is assume that the pilot has a basic understanding of how to maximize the performance of their plane in a particular scenario, and then basically consolidate all of that into a single statistic if I can. Right. Um, and I've tried to do that with missiles, basically, um, which is kind of the cornerstone of how modern jet fighting works. If you can simplify that down to basically a range band and a firepower value, just like the base game does, um, you can kind of get there. Um, and I'm still tweaking this. Like right now, uh, 1.31 is in the works with a lot of changes. <laughs> uh oh, <laughs> guess I better start getting ready to read up. Then. Yeah, I, I and I understand the that there's there's always a what I'll call kind of the tyranny of scale. That that as you start trying to compress some of these things down to make it playing on the living room floor, which we've all seen some miniatures games be that big. Mm. Oh, well, chambers. I think I played Epic on the living room floor all the time. Uh, <laughs> but uh, you, when you'd say, "Okay, I want this to scale down," now all of a sudden you say, "Well, how do I make it so that the Sidewinder doesn't have a one-inch range in in comparison to the Phoenix?" Because now I have missiles on the exact opposite end of the scale. Exactly. Uh, of K, there's there's some. Uh, I, I don't want to say it's it's. Uh, you know, suspension of disbelief. But I mean, once again, we are playing a miniatures game. <laughs> we are playing it on a table. But there, there has to be a point where as a game designer, you go, there needs to be range bands, but I can't make it as a one-to-one -one representation. So I thought that exactly. was interesting. And, and, you know, thank you for the notes you've put, at least in, in previous editions and this edition, talking about um, some of the design compromises for speed and for, for afterburner and things like that, because it, it helps me look at it not in a analyzing a rule to be perfectly scaled but a rule to be able to represent uh, an action and you know that's that's the tough part is you start adding the, the higher speeds in there you go well i would go across the entire living room floor in one move for some of these aircraft exactly um and I, i'm big on that i have a programming background um i i am going to school for computer science and one of the things that they drill in your head from day one when you're coding is comment your code, comment your code, why you did this, why you did it, the way you did it. And I, I take that back into game design where, okay, I did this, but why? Well, and that was always one of my favorite things. I grew up uh, in the era of Dragon Magazine when the latest D&D &D expansion came out or a new game from TSR. You, you'd open up Dragon and you'd, you'd read the designer's notes when something new from Games Workshop came out, you'd open White Dwarf and you'd, you'd commentary about, here's what we did to change the rules a little bit. And I think a, a lot of games have gone away from that in recent years, that it's it's kind of all behind the curtain and they don't want you to look behind the curtain. 
Um, but but I think as as players, a lot of times we want to know why does something work the way it does. I know, I know for me uh, with Blood Red Skies, there were a lot of things I wanted to ask Andy and go, why did you choose that? Because it doesn't make sense to me. But you know, once he explains, it, you go, oh, okay, got it. It's a compromise. You know, there's exactly. there's things you couldn't do. Exactly. I'm very much the same way. I consider myself a transparent person with the way that I think, the way that I design things, the way that I write. I I want people to understand where I'm coming from, especially in Jet Age Edition, because much like Blood Red Skies had to compromise on a lot of things to get to where they are now, I have to compromise on a lot of things as well with regards to missiles, radar, just so much. And right. I don't, especially because I'm writing a mod that I can't sell, you know, I can't push marketing, I can't make pretty things for it. I, I'm a writer, not a graphic designer. So <laughs> I, I can't make a lot of things that would polish this up and make it to the quality level that some that warlord could do it's especially important for people to understand why things are the way they are and why i wrote them that way because if i don't then why would you play the mod right absolutely well chris you you know you, you have kind of a a different perspective on this because uh, I know we we haven't had a chance for you and I to sit down and play Jets, so at least you don't have the baggage of uh, of playing a lot of the Mega Alley stuff. What were your thoughts? Just taking a look at the at the mod as a build out to Blood Red Skies. Well, I was just looking at it from you know truly base mechanics. I read through the Afterburner rules; they made sense. I mean, when you compare them to the way Blood Red Skies works. And Rosalind already touched on it with the the range bands. And that was the one thing that I was looking for when I looked at it was like, okay, how do we, we stack a sidewinder against an Amram or a Phoenix? Um, and just me with you know, just knowing what I do about those systems, never having flown a jet, but knowing that, that there's a monumental leap between those systems and what their capabilities are. How do you compress those down on the table? And I thought the bands when I initially looked at it, I went, well, if you're going to play Blood Red Skies as a jet game, those are pretty close to about the area where I think I would have gone with it. So all of that made sense. Um, and I don't have the baggage. I, I still haven't done the everybody drops in and everybody flies around the table and, and half the table's gone in the first turn. So that that's going to be a big jump for me. But I'm still, I, I guess I'm just, I'm kind of like, wait and see with jets i mean i'm still not 100 percent even in with you know with the the, the mcgalley so I, i'm interested in this because this helps me understand mcgalley a little bit more too okay well so Rosalind, have, you, go. have so, you had a chance to play uh mcgalley with the the new rules for jet and, and the rest of it uh well i have played base mcgalley i have okay. not played it in the jet age edition rules because you right. can do that um but I have played the base McGalley, and that's where the 1.3 update came from. And I'll touch on that later. Okay. Um, and what went into that for me. But all I have to say is maybe some of the people listening have uh, seen my post that I made on the Ready Room page uh, about playing McGalley. I fell in love immediately. It is now by far my favorite way to play Blood Red Skies. It's fantastic. The jet card is probably the smartest game design instance of anything I've ever seen to how 
monumentally it changes the game. Um, yeah, I love I, it. I think there's a lot of people that don't appreciate that, and it's and it's kind of funny. I don't know the uh, the comfort level of gamers that they don't like one simple thing like a card upending their entire understanding of how the game is supposed to work or if it's um because they just had a different vision of what 1950s aerial dogfighting is but i've been surprised at the i don't want to use the term backlash i don't know what the the term is but the the grumbling about mm. the introduction of the jet card and, and what that meant and how that fundamentally changed a jet v jet battle um you know yeah. i I think, like I told people, you really have to play it. You play it a couple of times, you go, oh, I get why it's this way. It, it it may not be the way I would have modeled jets, or it may not be the way that I think jets should be modeled. But in at least Doug's opinion, it, it's a good way to simulate a lot of the capabilities of jets without making overly complex ways of tracking energy, throttle position, all those kind of things, you know. Exactly. Do, I, you think I, that I wanna... backlash comes from maybe people's perspective being – they want to, or they're thinking maybe Jet Two is going to show up on their, you know, Battle of Britain table, and they're going to be playing those kind of games. I mean, because that would be completely out of scale. I, I don't know if it's if it's the competitive side where they say I need, uh, I need to be able to walk to any table and play any, you know, uh, force that gets thrown down against me. I would hope not. Now we, we've talked about it a few times in the podcast the American competitive gaming gene, <laughs> that aberrant gene. Uh, uh, there, there may be people who don't like it because they they now feel players? the game is broken. <laughs> yes, competitive yeah. players. I hates them. I hates them all. <laughs> I I don't. I understand that competitive players are kind of the cornerstone of what keeps a game alive. Oh, oh they really are. Especially the United. It uh, it's fascinating to look, especially in the forty k community, thirty k and forty k community. That um, narrative while it may sell a few models, doesn't sell all the codexes and doesn't sell all the box sets uh, and, and as much as uh, as competitive play does. Yeah, and, and it was the same thing in X-Wing, honestly. Like, without the competitive community, X-Wing would have died a miserable death a long time ago. Um, but granted, I think... I, I'm really not sure why people are grumbling about it. I feel like... I mean, Warlord's still rolling out World War II releases on a consistent basis, so I, I don't think that can be it. Um, I think that the Jet card itself is a really accurate representation of what it's like to go from flying a World War II plane to flying a jet in the Korean War. It, it completely upends the perspective of a dogfight, which it did. That's That's what happened. I I I honestly don't know. I suspect that this kind of thing will, if for wherever the competitive play is, because there isn't any near me, I'm sure that this will not be allowed at the same time. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's it, it. To me, it only makes sense that you say, "Well, tables for jet armies, and we will have tables for prop armies, and never the twain shall meet." Because <laughs> yes. it's just it's. It, I've played a few scenarios with jets and props, and they're they're cool to do. There's cool things to do historically with those scenarios, um, but I, I think if if you want a truly balanced and fair uh, chance to to meet your opponent across the table, it, it's not going to be that way. Exactly. It's just a novelty, right? What's that? 
that these uh, those other kind of missions you're talking about are really more or less a novelty. It's the, the jet on jet thing is really the mainstay of that that so, system. So I'm gonna I'm gonna throw a spear at you on that one, <laughs> right? and and I'm, and I'm gonna say this this is part of our problem um, with where miniature gaming has gone in the. US. So remember, I'm an old guy. I used to play Squad Leader and you know Panzer Leader and all those games around a table, um, and and we used to not have this this thought that everything had to be perfectly balanced, that there was, you, you wanted some ability of the general himself and some ability of the army. And there was, there was a, a feel that you could, you could be evaluated on your skill by not having to have a perfect, your armies in perfect parity. Um, and I think there's a lot of things to be said in the prop scenarios, if the scenario is scripted right, that it's, it's not so much a novelty, but you can't just walk up to a table throw four jets down and throw eight props down and go, we have a balanced game. But if, but if you yeah. walk in and you say, okay, it's a jet V prop scenario. So here's kind of our baseline rules. We're always going to use low altitude haze so that, that we simulate the, the props being able to get down in the weeds and, and make it difficult to be shot. We, you know, we know we're going to go in there and simulate um, high altitude advantage uh, for uh, for anything that's like a, a twin Mustang or something. So you give it a chance to actually have a, a, a fighting chance against a, a jet. You know, you if you script some of those things well, then the scenario makes sense, and it's not so much uh, a kind of a one off. Let's just see how the game goes. Because I, I think we showed it with the P thirty eight scenario that just because the first time out the gate the dice go against you and you seriously lose that battle in the first turn and a half. I mean, in blood risk guys, that takes 10 minutes, <laughs> yeah. put them all back on the table and try it again. And we tried the exact physical same setup. and It was a totally different game. The the second time through on our P38. And so I think it's, and I, and I think that's kind of the beauty of the blood red skies system is uh, as we talked about last episode, the board edge means a lot. And if you script that and you script the theater cards, and doctrine cards, and you can really take some asymmetric forces and and make it so it's fun to play them. Does it mean that that you know the even number of times the prop guys are going to table the jet guys? Probably not, but they're not going to feel dissatisfied playing the game at that. I I'll be honest, the I don't think I've ever truly been dissatisfied playing Blood Red Skies. Period. Oh yeah, any I, I get beaten ten minutes and I'm still happy. <laughs> Exactly. That's the, <laughs> that certainly didn't work. <laughs> Let's try that again. <laughs> that's the cool thing about the game is that losing doesn't feel bad. Or at least it doesn't for me. I think a lot of it's time. And you know, Chris and I have talked about this. We sit down to a 30K or 40K game and we invest three hours just to get four turns. And you find yourself tabled by some game mechanic you didn't understand about the enemies. And you go... That just kind of took all the fun out of the last four hours that I've played. Yep. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think that's important. I think that's important to note. I mean, yes. I don't mind playing something that's asymmetric when I go in knowing it's asymmetric. If I'm playing an asymmetric scenario for the reason of feeling something that really occurred in history, I mean, there's there's nothing more asymmetric than some of these small, you know, mid-sized bombers going up against fighters in World War II. But it happened a, a lot. And, you know, that there were times when that was just the ugly reality of war. And in those situations, winning was just getting away. 
Um, and, 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 and when you make just getting away a victory mechanic for those, those, those little guys, I mean, it does, it, it brings that tension that we're all looking for in gaming. You want that, that build up, and you want that, 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 that tension. And then you want that, that narrow victory or that, that thing that occurs within the rules that is thematic of, you know, history. And in in this case, it's history and in sci-fi games, it's, it's, you know, it's something else, but it's, it's like history. You know, you're playing a system that's based on an IP that has a history of what went on. And I think that that's what Blood Red Skies does really well. Well, I mean, I still love Scenario Zero. I mean, if it's, that's nothing more than a run down the recce platform scenario, but it's fun and trying it with different aircraft, different configurations. Um, I, it, there's nothing more asymmetric than that one where you can't shoot back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Totally agree. Hey, Ross, um, yeah, I'm the least familiar with Jet Age Edition, and there may be listeners that aren't familiar with it either. Could you maybe give me a rundown on what a, um, what a typical game or how you want the game experience to be? What, what can I do when I'm playing Jet Age Edition? Okay. Um, so essentially, the... The goal is to provide as much as I can of the basic Blood Red Skies experience. You know, like, it, it's not supposed to be a complicated game. Um, you're not supposed to have to really stress out over, you know, bookkeeping or any of that as nearly as much. What Jet Age Edition is supposed to bring to the table is essentially just I want to seamlessly add in the ability to play modern jets into the system. Um, now, that can be difficult. I can't use the same uh, speed values. Like, it's not a 1 by 50 system. But what you can do in Jet Age Edition is essentially, um, I want to add in the ability for you to fight with missiles, which adds in a whole lot of different things. Um, in missile combat, there's a lot more, I guess, defensive play than there is against guns. So if in Jet Age Edition, if you get a missile fired at you and it's a head-on attack, you have the opportunity to spin advantage, drop down to a lower advantage level, and then uh, turn 90 degrees to the side so that you're going defensive, Where in the same way where you get a ping... Uh, in your aircraft in like a real jet that someone's shot a missile at you well you don't want to get hit by it and going straight at it is probably not a smart idea so what do you do you turn away from it and the only way to really simulate that is to have that rule where you can just do that because if you don't have that then that you you're not going to spend your movement that turn to be able to do it and if you already have then you're just kind of screwed um, yeah, and that's one of the tough things with some of the other systems that this the pre-planned movement you have to basically, you know, once the other aircraft is shot at you, then you're in defensive maneuver and you're and it's it's really the sense I'll say taking uh, taking game time to do something that should be fairly automatic. Yes, exactly, and, and that's that's why I made it such a trivial action. Like it, knowing you have to know that if you're going to shoot at somebody at long range with a missile and you give them time to turn away, they're going to turn away. So I wanted to make that a quick, simple, easy action that you can just do whenever it happens. Um, aside from that, there's 
a lot more play. One of the big advantages that jets have over, you know, uh, prop planes is, of course, speed. They're very fast, uh, especially modern jets. Like, for example, I think the fastest jet in the game is the MiG-31, as it should be. Um, and I would like to note that, again, I had to have the speed values from 1 by 50 per point of speed to 1 by 100. And the MiG-31 still has 16 points of <laughs> raw speed. Right. And, and that is after... I take off 25% of their speed value for an afterburner's value. So without that, the MiG-31 is sitting at, uh, what would that be, 22 points of speed if it didn't yeah. have the afterburner's <laughs> value? That's, that's really fast, in, for those that don't know. Um, so then that comes into afterburners. So afterburners as... I've discussed with Mitch in you know separate conversations. They use a lot of fuel. They're not really something that you can do a whole lot in a fight, but they're a resource that you're there for when you need extra energy. It also, because you're increasing your speed so rapidly, naturally that is going to increase your turn radius. Maybe not your turn rate, but your turn radius. Um, and it's going to make turning in a tight circle a little bit more difficult. It, at, it's a very complicated subject. For this game, I have abstracted it so that afterburners, if you do it, you can't make any turns other than your standard 45-degree turn at your end of your movement. And that has been complicated. That's getting changed in 1.31, in case yeah. <laughs> anyone's curious. Um, Good, because, because that one just made my head hurt. But that's hard. <laughs> It's a clumsy system. I won't lie. I haven't really had a particularly great way to simulate that. Well, well, and I, th I think this is, you know, one of the, the things me stepping from the outside looking in is has tried to wrap my brain around because you've really bit off so much of the of air combat by doing this um, that it's gone from a very simple world of blood red skies where I'm dealing with a fairly small dogfight to now with Jet Age, I'm dealing with the entire intercept. And so. In in my mind, when I when I think about a mechanic after wait, we're not just talking about it being within visual range. This is a mechanic that has to drive how we're flying the intercept, how we're we're initiating this whole matchup, but still makes sense when I get into a visual range with somebody else. Yeah, and and having played DSCS World a lot, I can tell you from experience that a bad approach will pretty much lose you a dogfight every single time. If you approach at a bat at a lower altitude if you approach directly at them as opposed to kind of splitting off and circling around if you don't play defensive there's so many ways for an approach to go wrong i don't want a player to have to think about all of these different things however i do want to simulate a player having to think okay i need to get in somehow but how do i do that without dying um that's crucial because that's a lot of what modern jet combat is like I mean, again, I'm not speaking as an effort, and I can't talk. I'm not speaking as an expert. I'm speaking as someone who has done the studying necessary to figure this all out. The problem is, you know, moving that over to the game part. Well, and I think that's that's why I, I always kind of like, you know, Andy talks about his background in simulator things, and some Grognard buddies get up and and uh, wave the I know more about airplanes than you. 
<laughs> uh, which, which I laugh because I go, we're, we're approximating this. So let's let's not get bent about um, you know what people's experience is because we're trying to build something that that fits the mental picture you have. Um, because I'll come at it from the other direction and go, none of your games are ever going to perfectly simulate air combat. You you just can't. It, no, it is such can. a it's such a combination of physical and mental and, and spatial thinking. Uh, for those of us that have done that, we we sit there and we laugh and go, I really don't want that anyway, because that's a lot of work. It, it goes back to <laughs> you know, flying flight sims back in the days before DCS when there was Falcon 4.0, Hornet mm. 3.0, and some of these other games. Um, I had Hornet 3.0 while I was a, a young uh, weapon systems officer training to fly the Hornet, and it was as accurate as our simulator, and it was almost no fun to fly because it was like going in and flying a full mission in the simulator again. I'm like, this got to do this for work. Why do I, I don't want to do this when I'm at home. I, I want something that's fun that I can quickly pick up, shoot down some and be happy. Uh, so, so there's that, that point where I always tell people, be careful what you ask for. Because sure, we can make it the game a lot more simulator-like and, and put in some of that complexity in those decisions, even if you don't have the physics part, like Air Warhead tracking your, your energy states, throttle, oh, engine spool, God. all those things. You know, Let's get rid of those. But, but still, there's so much tactical complexity I remind guys, hey, you you don't want all those decisions to be on there. You you don't want to have to think about you, you really want to assume your pilot and your crew for that airplane know what they're doing. And yeah. you're just trying to pick the least bad way to end this engagement. <laughs> exactly. Are you saying that you don't just throw on the speed rake and watch them fly right past you? <laughs> I'm going to drive to Jacksonville and punch you in the face. <laughs> uh, was, but but so that's that actually brings up a, a a point I was going to kind of throw in later is is if I had to pick one thing as I'm looking at the system that that still I don't say confounds me because I understand how you did the mechanics. One of the things that I really want to look into playing on the table is is how speed interacts on the table um, right. because it's right now a, a little bit of a limitation in the propeller version of Blood Red Skies. I think it gets magnified a little bit more now that we Mig Alley. Because suddenly we have some engines that took quite a while to spool up. And if you went from minimum power trying to to really throw somebody off to full power, uh, there was some engine spool up time. You didn't immediately uh, move, you know, 600, 700 miles an hour. Right. Uh, so so I think I think knowing that, that's why in, in your mod, because you really you're not going to go from, uh, you know, speed eight to speed 16 even with the scaling, it, it, you're not going to do that rapidly in the real world. But once again, we, we have the luxury of, of not having a fixed time scale, a fixed distance scale. You know, we're, we're not trying to make this super hyper accurate. So there's always going to be some compression there and say, all right, I, I realize your engine spool up time might be a second and a half, two seconds. These turns are simulating what we do over 10 seconds. You know, exactly. There's, there's, there's some, some, some leeway there. Yeah. And I, I kind of had to rely on that because if I tried to realistically represent, like we were talking about before, if I tried to realistically represent the range of a Sidewinder versus the range of a Phoenix, we would have to play on the floor. Right. That's the kind of ranges that we're talking about. Um, if I assumed that you couldn't just spool up from, you know, your half speed to your full speed in one turn, then we are looking at something like air war where I do have to simulate 
and record every movement of my plane for future reference. And that's the fact that Blood Red Skies doesn't have that is part of what makes it so enjoyable to play. Sure. Um, and Brett and I sat there talking about it for deflection. Said, you know, maybe we need to to track what your speed is, how much you moved each turn, and so your is plus that value, not plus your your full uh, speed value. And then we realized we're like, why do we want to do that? It's more record keeping, more bookkeeping, one more chit or die or something you're putting next to that airplane. Like, ah, I remember to use my aircraft trait cards half the time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm like, ah, I'm not, I'm not playing this game to have that much tracking. Sure, that would that would better simulate really how hard that deflection shot should be for that pilot. But we just don't want to go to that level. We know deflection shooting's tough, so we're going to apply the maximum speed value. <laughs> yeah, and and that's the exact reason why you are not going to ever find a rule in Jet Age Edition that lists how radar works. I assume. <laughs> I assume that radar works all the time the exact way that it is supposed to. That if there is a plane out there that isn't like a stealth plane, for instance, and I'm that's another discussion to have later, um, that your radar intercept officer or your pilot is going to be able to find them. Because right. they know how to use the radar. I, I try to make as many concessions and assume that everything is working as it is supposed to, Everything is fine. I compress things a little bit. Like, for instance, shooting attacks in Jet Age Edition for guns are three inches now as opposed to six inches. Right. And that allows me to kind of like, okay, well, now I don't have to have a missile that shoots 36 inches just because my guns shoot at six inches. <laughs> right. Um, which I have taken advantage of. Um, in In essence, the... And again, as I discussed before, like I said, I have a bias towards granularity. And that's been the hardest thing for developing this game for me. And it's one of the things I'm most grateful for is teaching me to, you know, put that bias in the closet sometimes and keep it away from the things that don't need it. Right. And I think well, that's what and, and I'm sure it's probably it's probably tough when you see things that that, you know, are compressed, like looking at stat lot. How am I going to make it? distinguish between different aircraft, different models, even of individual aircraft. Um, that's probably got to be pretty frustrating. Yeah. Um, and, and there are two big examples of that is the agility values that a plane has. Like, how am I supposed to, in terms of a modern dogfight, a two degree turn rate difference at a particular airspeed can win a dogfight over another plane. But in terms of the game, those, how am I supposed to differentiate two degrees of turn rate? How am I supposed to do that? I can't. I have to assign it a value of agility of one, two, or three. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and because some of the speed values of these planes are so high, I can't just let a plane use its speed value for a deflection value anymore. I had to give it its own separate value on a chart. Like, um, an A-10 is down at like the very bottom of the, the list with a speed of four and a deflection of four. But then you have a MiG-31 that's like four times as fast, yet it only has a nine deflection value, which is just over double. But in reality, it should be a deflection value of 16, but because the game design just 
rolling 21 dice to dodge a deflection shot and <laughs> not counting other modifiers right that's a lot that's yeah. a lot you're never gonna hit that ever so there's that is a little frustrating to the realism part of my my weird brain um but i realize that it's for the best i don't I don't think rolling 21 dice to dodge in an ace in a MiG-31 is a particularly good idea. Well, um, and at some point you come down to the diminishing percentages where it's already percentage anyway. Why are we adding the extra dice to make it an even lower percentage? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, so, you know, that's that's a frustrating thing. But Thankfully, the savior that is known as the jet card came along, and this is the part where we talk about that. And I've been, oh, I've been waiting all night for this. Um, so the jet card threw a monkey wrench into the way that things play in Jet Age Edition, and it is, I am so thankful for that because I say monkey wrench, but in reality, it's probably the best thing that happened to this mod. Because one of the things that I was struggling with is, you know, I wrote a point-costing algorithm for these planes. It's not particularly complex. Um, but before, and I, I had done some limited playtesting with my, within my group, my friend group here. And we kind of found that, like, there's very little difference in the performance of, say, my favorite jet in F5. and say, an F-14. Yeah, the F-5 is costed less because it is inherently less capable, but in terms of the way that the game's played out, the F-5 could easily take it. Like, right. it, it was not that hard. But now that the jet card is around and I can assign generational values to it, an F-5 cannot climb unless it is outside of now six inches of the F-14. It's right. nine inches with the base card. I change it to six inches because I've got to compress the values. But that's a huge disadvantage now. And that's realistic considering that the F5 could never think about outclimbing an F14. It's never going to happen. The, it, it doesn't come close. And that's the significant differentiating value that I was looking to have. Because the fourth gen jet should naturally outperform a third gen jet pretty much all the time. Uh, and of course, pilots can make up for that. Like, if you put an ace and an F5 and a rookie and an F14, I still think the F5 is going to win. Uh, <laughs> yep. I, I, it's just going to be able to hit its shots better and it's going to move first. It's got all these advantages. And that's the way it should be. Um, but then you step all the way down to like, for example, the. F-86 Sabre, you put an F-86 Sabre up against an F-14, the F-14 is going to win every time regardless of pilot skill. It's that much better, and it should be. Um, granted, the Sabre is a lot cheaper, so maybe you could throw four Sabres into the mix against one F-14, and that could maybe do something. You know, that's, a, that's an interesting gameplay development to try out. And I think I have found a comfort zone with tooling around with the plane traits. Uh, there are, 
I've kept a couple of the plane traits because it's it's hard to really design like in F sixteen, for example, it turns really well. And the awesome thing about Blood Red Skies in that case is that it already has the tight turn card. But then I introduced the problem of okay, well, an F sixteen turns better than an F five, which turns better than say, I don't know. Let me look through my list here for a plane with rapid roll. Um, maybe it turns better than, I don't know, a MiG-17 or a MiG-21 or something, right? And maybe that turns better than another plane. So I need to expand the range. And then there's a whole lot of other capabilities that a plane might have that isn't represented in Blood Red Skies. What I've taken to doing is just um, pretty much just designing a whole wide variety of new plane traits that I can tack onto a plane, maybe even planes that have unique traits, either positive or negative, uh, of which I have added a great deal more negative traits to the game. And I think that's probably the best way that I'm going to pad out what made a plane unique or what made a plane vulnerable without you know, having to tack the literal vulnerable trait to it. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, for example, uh, since I'm talking about the F5 so much, the F5A was notoriously complained about having particularly weak engines. It couldn't climb very well. It was capable. It turned decently well. But it had such weak engines that pretty much anything could outclimb it. So it gets its own... And this is coming in 1.31, by the way. This is not out yet. Um, it's getting its own unique trait called weak thrust. And essentially what that does is when it attempts to climb for advantage, it's got to make a maneuver check. If it doesn't, then it can't. And that's pretty much it. Nice. And, yeah. I, I, well, I think you know, having set of a slightly more advanced F5, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of aircraft performance that is tough to tough to understand until you've at least seen felt you know smelled <laughs> how the plane performs because you know my single f5 ride that i had i was just surprised that it wasn't a rocket ship mm. i always assumed it was you know I, i'd always i'd fought these guys for years um and seen them you know do some amazing things uh you know up at uh, 15 20 000 feet but it was really surprising that it had a, a very gradual takeoff kind of had to think about it and go okay even though it's got uh, some some fairly large engines for the size of the airframe. It really doesn't when you think about it. You know, I, exactly. it's like aircraft like the L thirty nine that take off at a you know two degree positive glide slope. It feels like when you're in them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's really hard to capture those very subtle details of a plane within a numerical value, right? Like agility or you know some such. Um. So, yeah, plane traits are the way I try to capture things like that. It's harder the less that I know about a plane or the less information is available for that plane. Uh, and the, there's very little I can do about that. I'm just a civilian. I don't have access to particularly informational documents, especially with regards to Soviet or Chinese planes. But I do what I can. DCS World helps with that. Pretty much any simulator that I can take a look at and compare how planes perform, especially if I have 
a good understanding of the way uh, an F-18 performs, then I can compare it within that encapsulated instance how another plane might perform. Right. I think in terms of the way this game going and the way that I'm developing this mod, I'm probably doing the best that I can. But I, I'm one of those people where if I always feel like I could do a better job. I, whether or not I can or not, I always try just because, especially with regards to, you know, Jet Age Edition or my other game that I'm working on. If I don't feel like I did the best job I can, how will anybody else feel that way? Well, thanks for taking the time to talk to us. I really appreciate it. Brett, any last minute uh, questions from you? I was just going to say thanks for being on. It's, you know, really fascinating to hear the things that you have to consider as you're, you know, bringing this idea to life. And I can certainly relate because in our own small way, you know, we've dabbled with, you know, tweaking things and coming up with scenarios. That's been kind of my, uh, my, uh, Doug calls it pet rock, uh, to, you know, it's, it's <laughs> coming up with interesting narrative scenarios that are a little off the beaten path or whatever. So I can totally relate. I think it's awesome what you're doing and I really appreciate taking the time to talk with us about it. Yeah. Thank you so much. This has been honestly a really good experience for me in a lot of ways. It influences a lot of the decisions I make in my main game. I have always loved fighter jets. It's, I don't think I have had a conscious moment in my life where at some level I didn't love fighter jets. So this has been important for me to do. I'm so grateful to be able to talk about it in this way. So again, thank you for having me. Yeah, no worries. We look forward to talking to you in the future. Yeah, me too.